Welcome to Neighborly, the Wilbur Room, house number 21, Little Street. House number 21 is a pleasant little home. When it was sold to the young couple, the real estate agent expressed with a wink that it was the perfect nest from which to grow a family, an assertion that was met with polite stares and furtive glances. To all outward appearances, such an expansion never occurred. The two of them, Neve and Connor, worked out of their stack of a three-bedroom house quietly and routinely, Occasionally, they would invite a friend on a two-on-one soiree of the minds to discuss some aspect of entrepreneurship or politics over a nice Sauvignon Blanc. But beyond that, their working life faced very little disruption, without any desire for the addition of any little disruptions. It is in this house that I can finally tell you of an irritant that has been plaguing Little Street for a long time. A pest more bothersome even than rats or foxes. But I won't get ahead of myself. Let's see how this untangles. On this particular morning, Neve went downstairs at 5am to filter her first coffee. Connor wasn't far behind her and gave her a look she couldn't interpret as he waited for the hot water for his green tea. After breakfast, they adjourned to their separate office rooms, Neve's with its yoga equipment and Connor's with its bonsai trees and miniature zen gardens, and proceeded to do a lot of very important nothing on their computers. And as far as days went, it began rather typically. Connor received another rejection letter for his book, which apologetically explained that the market was rather oversaturated with books about how to game the system for profit at present. He considered starting a podcast. I called Brandon. Neve announced when Connor brought a stark kale and feta salad to her door for lunch. We'll be expecting him to come round at about seven. Connor handed her the salad with one hand while massaging his temple with the other. Which Brandon? And why? Brandon Stalin. He's starting a new cryptocurrency within the next year. There's already some buzz online about just the rumor of it. Figured he'd make an interesting conversation. She offered a conspiratorial smirk, which was readily returned. The way they talked, it was almost as though they were keeping secrets from the very air, and that even a breath breathed with their mouths pronounced around a thought would alert their quarry to their plot. It made it very difficult to tell their story. Brandon Stolen arrived twenty minutes late. Neve and Connor did not comment on this, because they were uncertain if it was a faux pas or a lauded power move of the inevitably wealthy. Neve poured him a glass of wine and another of ice water while Connor came in with a tray of fussy little vegan snacks. Brandon patted his thighs as he sat, which they understood as him meaning business. Now. He paused. The couple looked at each other. Now? Now. As I understand it, you are interested in investing in Guiltcoin? Connor chuckled. Is that really the name you're going with? Neve slapped him on the shoulder. What my fiancé means is... Brandon held up his hands with a smile. No, no, I understand. You aren't anticipating I might try and overcharge you. 
you need not worry about this. From what I understand, you have a network of rather influential people. I am happy to have the opportunity to forge this connection, if it means that I can be connected with this network. What's more important is who you know, no? Neve cracked into a sharp grin. Quite right. With the ice broken, the three of them chatted business, and gossiped, and bragged, and drank. And drank. Especially Brandon. Connor and Neve watched appreciatively as he grew red and swollen under the influence. Before long, he excused himself to go to the bathroom. Now is their chance to strike. Brandon had left his bag in the sitting room, and Connor swiped it and began to rifle through the contents. A slim laptop, a ring binder with some spreadsheets, the packaging for a store-bought sandwich. He tucked the bag into the cupboard and locked it. Neve took up Brandon's glass of wine and began whispering into it, feeling it heat up and sing. And after he was done with the bag, Connor joined her. The pair of them hunched over the glass and whispered, wrapped in the process while also listening out for telltale signs of his return. None came and they managed to complete the most complex evolution of their little hex that they had ever achieved. Indeed, it was the longest version that they thought was possible, and for the first time they had completed it uninterrupted. They stood in the silence, at a bit of a loss, waiting for their guests to return. Straining their ears, listening hard for a flush or a rustle, or any evidence that he was still there at all. Nothing. Dead. Quiet. The silence was broken by a cry. The pair of them did not, at first, react to it with more than a raised eyebrow. They didn't know of any infants belonging to their immediate neighbours, and it sounded a bit too close to be any further than the next door. It was very close, actually. Very, very close. It almost sounded as though, but, but no, it, it, it couldn't be. And then, at last, they heard the voice of Brandon Stolen, hushing and shushing a couple of rooms over. The two of them all but bolted down the hall and took the stairs two at a time, nearly tripping over each other, trying to get to him and answer what the hell was going on. And they were met with a door, just outside their master bedroom was not there before, and indeed could not be there. The crying stopped suddenly, and so did the shushing, and so did the door. No fuss or ceremony, no fading away, they simply blinked, and it was gone, and Brandon Stalin with it. So much for a guilt coin, I guess. I'm sure we can all be sympathetic to how this turn of events left them reeling. It would positively befuddle you as well, I'd imagine, if you were interrupted in the act of doing something condemnable by an unseen infant in an impossible door. And what could they do? Honestly, put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? What could you possibly do here? There really isn't any helpline for this sort of thing, though if you've been with us for this long, you're likely realizing that there probably ought to be. They consider the possibilities. If Brandon Solon was gone, G-O-N-E with a capital G, which was what they had to consider, that could potentially mean an investigation into his disappearance, which would likely mean investigators on their doorstep. 
and though they were not the ones who disappeared him, and any investigation would not turn up evidence of their culpability. The pair of them knew solemnly that any scrutiny from any authority was best avoided. Particularly if said scrutiny unearthed anything impossible or peculiar. That might lead to people talking. People who knew things, but whose tongues were tied by the accusations of impossibility and irrationality of their experiences. People whose reputations could be jeopardized, but who might be emboldened upon the realization that others experienced it too. That wouldn't do. Neve and Connor would be ruined. No. It was best to pretend he had never been there, pretend nothing had happened, lay low, maybe even plant some evidence, drive his car somewhere between his place and theirs, crash it somewhere, say he never made it to dinner. The other possibility was that he was gone, but not gone, gone, just brought somewhere else to reappear later like a fly you thought you'd squished. This was grating and would be more challenging to account for, but certainly it was outlandish, and not at all similar to the supernatural experiences of their other dinner guests that the same cover story could be fitted to it as well, with potentially more risky but still relatively safe consequences. Yes, they would not comment, and if asked, simply say that he never made it there. They would get rid of the car, that was enough. They were respectable people after all. No one could really suspect them of such a thing. No. To even voice the thought would be ridiculous. Everything was going to work out in their favour, like always. And yet, they still preoccupied themselves with worrying about the man, so that they would not have to confront the door. They only caught a glimpse of it, but it sat in their minds patiently, waiting for a clear moment to present itself. It had been painted a delicate baby blue, with a big round cartoon elephant upon it, and the nameplate. A timeless thing, screwed to the door at eye level and impossible to miss, which read... Wilbur. A few breath-holding days passed unfruitfully. They drank coffee and green tea. Their neighbours waved to them and they waved back. Neve disposed of the car in the dead of night. The strange goth girl from number one took to leaning against their front wall, probably just to avoid her friend, which was all right with them. They sat on their computers doing a lot of very important nothing. No one came knocking to their door looking for anyone. They did yoga and watched very important people say important things while making strange pauses and emphasis on their words where it really, really wasn't necessary. And just when they were beginning to be lulled back into the reassurance of routine, the door appeared again, in the same place it had been before. This time, the baby blue paint and the cartoon elephant were plastered over with stickers and novelty hazard tape, and snoring could be heard but it sounded somehow too young to come from Bernd and Stalin. Connor almost knocked, but Neve held him back and shook her head. Didn't he remember that the last person who walked through that door disappeared? Having dabbled in their kind of nonsense for this long, didn't he know better than to just go touching things that appeared one day out of nowhere? 
were they supposed to do about it? The phone rang, and Neve went to answer it, leaving Connor with a stern eye that told him not to try anything stupid. After hesitating only a moment, he left the door to continue with his tasks for the day. Eventually, it slipped their minds. Perhaps they assumed, because it had disappeared so suddenly before, that it would not be there by the end of the day. Perhaps they assumed it to have gone when the snoring stopped, when the whole house was silent save for the squeak of Neve's stress ball. But when they went up to bed that night, there it was, exactly as they had left it, and again they mentally wrestled with their options. We could... could we? Neve interrupted. Think. Really think about what you're about to say next and ask yourself, peer into your heart of hearts and ask yourself, could we really? Connor fell silent. The pair of them simply stared at the door for perhaps far longer than they ought to have done. A set of heavy footsteps started rolling towards them from the other side, and they bolted like it was them who were trespassing. That night, and indeed the next, and the next, their guest, Wilbur, who haunted the space that did not, could not exist behind that door, grew louder and louder. And at first, it was just the footsteps, thundering around like he was practicing a stage play in there. And then it was the music. Neve and Connor lay flat in their bed, perfectly still, and listened to the grating sounds of some teenager's idea of what all music really should be. It took hours and a miracle to lull them into an uncomfortable sleep. In the morning, they were so tired their hands shook and the coffee nearly sloshed out of both of their mugs. They were so tired they almost didn't notice any differences to their surroundings at all. Almost. Their cupboards had been rifled through. There was empty food packaging in the rubbish, yet more left in the cupboards and fridge, and a couple strewn across the countertop as well. There were wrappers from sweets that Connor swore up and down he'd never seen before and that Neve didn't really care enough not to believe him. The TV was hot, like it had been running all night, and there was mud trucked all around the floor. And that was only the first night. Mercifully, Wilbur was quiet in the daytime. Their very important nothing on their computers went uninterrupted. A number of days passed like this. Quiet noons, noisy nights, messy mornings, and the stubborn door, unmoving save for rattling in its frame with every plod of heavy boots behind it. Then, one day, Connor was cooking some courgette noodles, and Neve heard a creak coming from just above them, and after a yawn, without any clarity regarding why, she called out, Wilbur, lunch is almost ready. The pair of them froze. They stared at each other in blank, naked shock. They waited, their ears strained so hard against the silence you'd think they might pop off, listening hard to the creak of a door or even a reply. But they received in response only a furious stomping, as if in retromand for disturbing him, and the pair breathed a sigh, and Connor shrugged. And they ate lunch and tidied Wilbur's mess from last night as though it were their own. It was a strained coexistence, certainly, but survivable. 
They flew well under the radar. No one came knocking to ask about any strangeness. No accusations uprooted their life. No one knew that there was anything wrong. And they continued to benefit from the hexes they had placed with no repercussions whatsoever. After a while, as they grew used to the sharp points where Wilbur's existence met theirs, their minds drifted back to their mystical side business and what they could do to adapt it to the new truth of their lives. They might have to come up with a lie to explain who Wilbur was to any guest, something that would repel them from wanting to be introduced, lest they go knocking on his door and find themselves disappeared, with the only evidence that they had ever been there being the store-bought sandwich packaging they left behind. It was only then that Neve remembered Brandon's backpack, tucked away in the cupboard. What with all the hullabaloo, they had completely forgotten it was there. They hadn't even thought to try to embezzle him of his finances. They pulled the cupboard open, took out the laptop, successfully guessed the password based on what they knew about Brandon from some quick googling. Password safety, everyone, it's very important. And got inside. It was blank. Not... Reset to factory defaults, that was clear from the desktop. Evidently, Brandon liked to play Stardew Valley on his work computer. No. It was that every single document that might be interesting to Neve and Connor appeared to have been individually deleted, though not very skillfully, and recently. Very important. Nothing. Neve opened the browser to check the search history, and was prompted to restore the recently closed windows. She clicked accept. It opened his email in the sent folder. An email sent last night. It was addressed to a string of random letters and numbers and an email client familiar to neither of them. And the body of the message was simply their home address. At house number 21, Little Street. Connor snapped the laptop shut. He and Neve exchanged an impenetrable glance. They rushed upstairs to find only a spiteful blank wall where Wilbur's room had once been. And then the doorbell rang. The next day, Connor walked out of his house to water the plants in the front garden, plants which all of his neighbours suspected were not real. One of his legs shuffled as though it were difficult for him to bend it at the knee, while the other one flexed and flailed about as though compensating. He caught the eye of his neighbour, a tidy old woman, as she was passing on her way out of Little Street. Tally-ho, my lady! She jumped at his exclamation and snapped her bewildered glare onto him. He chuckled. No bother, men. My wife and I were simply perusing and wanted to inquire after the quality of the local schools. Since it seems to us that it is high time we started a family... Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Claudia Appelart. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, though, we would appreciate it if you told a friend because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows, eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's dumpster fire signals the end of life as Susie Lee knows it. Who is Susie Lee? 
Has she seen that there's a fire? Does she know that it's getting higher and higher and higher and higher? Thanks for listening. Come back soon. So, you want to be a forget-me-not? Understandable. I mean, between the awesome fighting... Unguard! What? You want to fight, but... Ugh. The mayhem... Open flame. Ah! Stop flopping, you'll feed me. Ah! 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 Fire! And our dear magical companions. <laughs> it's no wonder. And that's not even mentioning our infamous captain and first mate, the sunken savage, and the white fox. Anyone on our tail? If they aren't now, they will be soon. Forget me not! Prepare for battle! Still, it isn't all fun and games. If you really want to be a forget me not, you'll need to be prepared for some fearsome rivals. Is that any way to greet an old friend now, Zinkus? It seems we have a most interesting evening ahead of us. <laughs> and terrifying sea beasties. Foolish human! We know all of your forms! Our powers are infinite. So, do you think you're ready? Yeah? Okay, then get ready for an unforgettable ride. The Adventures of the Forget-Me-Nots is a queer adventure podcast about finding your family on the high seas. Check out our first season wherever you get your podcasts. See you there, mateys!